Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about mortgage rates heading higher and the possibility that we are looking at a rebound of the savagely unhealthy housing market. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Christina Bennett, Senior Vice President of UWM Sales, about a career in the wholesale channel. Christina, what have you seen happen in the wholesale channel over the past six months? Yes, Sarah, we've seen some great growth in the wholesale channel over the past several months. Specifically, every single week, we're getting hundreds of phone calls from retail loan officers calling in to find out how can they join an independent mortgage broker? How can they become an independent mortgage broker? And quite honestly, just realizing that wholesale is better for consumers and a better place for them to work as well. Thanks, Christina. And listeners, you can go to BeAMortgageBroker.com to get more information. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here. Happy Friday, Sarah. And uh, we are going to be going to New York soon. Uh, it's true. We will be there for um, the MBA Secondary Conference. Look forward to uh, seeing lots of friends there. And you say happy Friday, but I got to tell you, the mortgage rate situation right now does not make me happy. Where are we? Yes, the 10-year yield has uh, recently broken above a little tight range. Uh, uh, and it's headed, uh, it's pushed rates higher, even close to 7%. Um, the mortgage back, the spreads are getting a little bit more worse than, uh, than they have been. So definitely 7% mortgages are, are back in, uh, play again. And, you know, the, the 2023 forecast range was 5.75 to seven and a quarter. We haven't quite gotten to seven and a quarter yet, but I would say that, you know, the banking crisis has changed some things in 2023. And also the debt ceiling issue has also uh, changed something short term. But uh, we did have uh, Jay Powell talk this morning and uh, talking about, you know, uh, credit getting tighter, you know, really helps them out. I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing or, you know, I'm, I'm putting my own spin on this. Tighter lending standards in for the economy can get our job loss recession faster. So we might not need to hike uh, higher than we would have originally, which, you know, credit was getting tighter even before the Silicon Valley banking incident, and they still kept on hiking. So remember, focus on the prize. Eye on the prize is a job loss recession. And uh Credit getting tighter actually will help them get to that level. But we did have some Fed members this week talking about raising rates, even even with all this other stuff going on. Yes, President Logan talked about you know I'm uh, you know it's not completely off the table for hiking in June. So remember, I'm not a Fed pivot person because these people want a job loss recession. They haven't gotten it yet. So if people are surprised that you know, you still have the president of the Dallas Fred talk about we could get another rate hike. You know, they have known all this information about credit getting tighter for months and they're still hiking. Why? Because they haven't gotten the honor badge, right? Think of the Federal Reserve members as getting an honor badge that they know when they'll when they all die in the afterlife, they will have an honor badge because they all want to be Paul Volcker. 
And just like, you know what? I created a recession. People lost their jobs, but our job is to fight inflation. So there we are, right? And there's their immortality. So uh, so if people were shocked that the president of the Dallas Fed talked about rate hikes even the next time, um, you know, some, some people would say that's jawboning, but in reality, they've had every chance to talk about things that they talked about toward the end of last year, which were constructive when they said, listen, we don't want to over hike because we don't want to break something and then force us. They don't care, right? They had a banking crisis, they had emergency lending, credit's getting tighter. They're still hiking during that whole process. So uh, eye on the prize. They've said this from the beginning. They want a four and a half to 4.75% unemployment rate. That's 2.6 million people roughly losing their jobs, and they haven't had it yet. Jo- jobless claims this last week actually fell. So uh, uh, it shouldn't shock anyone that we're still having this discussion almost uh, going into June. So the top of your range of your 2023 forecast for mortgage rates was 7.25, you said? Seven and a quarter, assuming the spreads were bad. But in, in this case, if we got to four and a quarter, on the 10-year yield, you're, you're seven and a half, seven point seven five, something oh. to that nature if the spreads get worse. Yeah. So this is why, you know, we, we talked about this uh, a, a few podcasts ago. Uh, if, if people say um, rates are too high, and I, I talked about, it could be a lot worse, right? If bond yields go up or they go up in that range, you can be uh, easily above seven. You know, we're talking about six and a quarter and 6.375 being uh, too high, but uh, Considering where we are still in the labor market, uh, uh, it could be worse, and it's gotten worse recently. So uh, I, I would say that the banking crisis has changed a lot of things this year, and the debt ceiling issue will take care of itself. You know, uh, we're not going to destroy the entire U.S. economy just for like, you know, politics. So uh, that that that'll 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 resolve itself but the banking crisis is is or the credit getting tighter these things are legit and much more sticky than a debt selling issue you know you talk about that and we're like oh no there's no way we would do that i listened to a uh, a radio show this morning on npr and they were talking about the fact that uh, their analyst said you know if you ever start out saying you know well, you know, Congress isn't stupid enough to do X, whatever that is. He was like, then you don't know enough Congress people. He's like, then you haven't been to Congress lately because even though it's stupid, they might do it. Let's assume they default on their debt and all hell breaks loose. That would be a day or two because I I, I would say this. You don't want to be the person in history like that that did something this stupid. I mean, it's just I, – I, I just don't – Politics again is a po- political theater, but you know all of these people have constituents in their own states. So if, if the worst scenario, I mean, they're basically harming their own people. So um, you you could give the the kind of the the, the suicide squad theory where they don't care, uh, blow everything up. But I there, there's there's too many normal people still working. <laughs> In Congress to just say, let's just destroy everything. So, I mean, it's just that that is the hope that there are still some normal people there. I, I still I, I know I know what people are thinking. Congress isn't efficient, but th- this is this is different. Uh, um, that's why I always say you, you could possibly have a one to two day chaos. But uh, I, I mean, we'll be honest with you here. Uh, President Biden can just 
do things to stop this right away. You know, in fact, uh, a, a friend of mine who's been working uh, in DC is is setting up like multiple ways for the White House if they wanted to. So that's why I'm not I'm I don't really think this is a big deal because there are levers to pull to prevent something like this. So they're going to play it up to the very last minute. And worst case scenario, you have one to two days. But the the United States, the White House can can do this. They can they can they can prevent the the, the default. So that's why I, I'm not putting much into it outside of one or two days. So I that's my best advice to everybody. Don't think this is the beginning of the collapse. I know there's certain people who love gold would love to see this, but it's not. Uh, uh, the White House has all the chips if they really wanted to. So. Um, it's just how you want to resolve this situation. So we have until uh, June 1st for that to get resolved and or a couple days afterwards, as you say. So mortgage rates might be going up until then, you think? You think well, t- the 10-year yeah. yield fell today. Short-term rates have been rising. Um, you know, the one-month bond yields had a really crazy <laughs> last six weeks. But uh, again, when I think of 2023, the 10 year yield is doing exactly what I thought it would do. So for me, it's not, it's not anything out of norm, but except the short term, short term, you know, we've broken above a little range uh, and that's pushed up rates. And again, to me, I think the banking crisis itself is, is more important because that has been sticky. The spreads were getting a little bit better before the banking crisis happened. And after that, it hasn't. So, um, I would put more weight on the banking crisis and the credit getting tighter than the debt default because the White House has levers to pull and they'll pull it right um, uh, if need be. So I, I I just wouldn't put much much value on the debts debt default and the collapse of the economy or anything like that. So I hate to be a Debbie Downer. I like to be positive. I like to focus on the positive. But today I do have to ask you. Um, when the existing home sales report came out, you wrote a story about, are we seeing the unhealthy housing market coming back, the savagely unhealthy housing market coming back? What what prompted that? You know, for me, I'm just being consistent with what I've talked about. Um, I'm a days on market person. And uh, days on market, you know, being in a teenager or under is never a good thing. I've always stressed this. Uh, that that was the whole the creation of the savagely unhealthy housing market came on February of 2022 because days on market were too low, multiple bid percentages actually we I think we got up to the craziest stat is we like 75 percent of the market in early 2022 had multiple bids. You know that's no that is not a good thing. That is not not a good thing. So. Uh, it was after March, you know, even after the Fed said we need a housing reset, uh, that rates started to go up. But rates are still high. We're here, and the days on market, I think, is high as like 34 to 37 days. I'm using the NAR data. And now it's fallen back down to 22 days. And again, the, the story here is the total active listings um, is just simply too low if demand is stable. And I think that's that's the big theme of my work. You know, since November 9th, when rates started to fall and purchase application data got better, demand is stabilized. And uh, I'm not a big sales rebound person, as I noted in the article, but with demand being stable, you know, there is, we've, we've seen this, the facilitation of days on market to come down because 
there's just not enough product. And, you know, looking at the Altos uh, uh, inventory data by, by Monday morning, we're going to have, we're going to, by, by, by Sunday night, we'll have the updated one. I mean, year to date inventory is still negative. Um, we're not getting much traction. I mean, if we only, if we took 22, 2022 out of the, the, the historical data lines, we're like at, at all time low. So uh, it, it's again, supply and demand economics. When, when home sales were crashing last year, it facilitated days on market to grow, but the inventory levels are still very low. And now that demand is stabilized, we've seen the days on market fall. So that's, again, that's that's the that's the whole the unhealthy housing market in 2021 becoming the savagely unhealthy housing market in 2022. It's not because home prices are up 10%, 10-15% like they were. It's just choices, right? When you don't have choices, whatever's left is the hungry hungry hippo game. Uh here it, you don't have, you know, the 15 to 20% year over year gains, but price gains, but you do have a marketplace that simply doesn't have enough products and in areas, certain areas of the U S too many people chasing too few goods. Right. And that in itself is inflationary because, uh, um, it just keeps prices, uh, stable or higher in this context, which I'm, I'm not a big fan of. I haven't been a fan of since my model broke, but this is the reality of the world we live in. So that was existing home sales. What about new home sales? Are they going to come into the rescue? You know, we we always have this debate on 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 Wall Street. You know, lumber prices are crashing, so the builders should be crashing the exact opposites, like an alligator chart. The builder stocks are at fifty-two week highs, and lumber is still depressed. And and I just, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to explain this to traders that you're you're focusing on different dynamics with lumber prices falling, right? So uh, there hasn't been a time ever recorded in history that total active listings are this low. So when people like a lot, a lot of people like to show these, you know, builder confidence charts that are, that were like, oh, they had a slight bump in 2007. No, that's not where. See, Sarah, this is this has become a problem. Not reading is <laughs> really hurt some people, um, you know. And and I highlighted this in a in a video on Twitter that. In 2005 to 2007, we had an 82% crash in new home sales. During that period, their their total listings or completed sales went from you know 80,000 to near 200,000. We're at 71,000 right now, and the completed homes available for sale. The builders' cancellation rates are falling. It was rising back then. The builders' monthly supplies are falling. It was rising back then. Home sales were still crashing back then. Home sales have stabilized. So if you're using a piece of wood, lumber, what is that? What does lumber mean to builders? It's an input cost, right? So now you're saying a lower input cost while demand is stable and cancellation rates are falling is 2007. I mean, I could get a second grader and they would understand, no. That's not an lower input cost means they have more margins, means the builders can push down rates. They can move their products. They front loaded a commodity and they just, they, they didn't read about everything else. Uh, and that's, that's the problem of not reading. When, when you don't read, you simply don't know that active listings are low and the builders are buying down. You just assume that one commodity controls the entire supply and demand uh, demographic. It's just not, that's just not how it works. So 
Uh, new home sales are just stabilizing. They're moving products. They're buying down rates. Uh, so the, their their sales are, in theory, doing much better uh, than the existing home sales. The existing home sales market has much different dynamics, the seller, buyer, uh, backdrop versus a business that sells a home like a commodity. So with rising mortgage rates, as we see right now, you know, that's what we saw last year with uh, builder cancellations, right? Cancellations of contracts and things that were under. But I do think the difference now is that buyers know what they're getting into. I mean, they're not expecting 5% and it goes to 7%. I mean, even if it goes a little bit higher, they know what they're getting into now. They, well, they, they know the pocket size, but also the builders are just, they're, 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 they're playing with different rules than the existing homes buyers. So, uh, you know, it, imagine if the 10-year yield is at 2.75 and the mortgage spreads are normal, where we have a, a, a four proof, a high 4%, low 5% mar- marketplace. That's what the builders are dealing with. They have the ability to bring rates lower. So g- give them credit. They're taking such advantage of this marketplace and they have their backlog and they're moving through it. They're efficient sellers. So I think, I think a lot of people just didn't understand how the business model works for the builder. So at first it was a shock. They had high cancellation rates, but you know they don't want their products to start building up because imagine all of a sudden everyone needing a price cut. They're seeing the next person. They, you know they need to move products, so they'll pull they'll pull levers to do so. And that's why I always say they are efficient sellers, and because they're efficient sellers, uh, they pull the levers needed to move products. And, and that's it. And again, same thing as always. Sale levels are historically low. Last year, if you looked at the sales adjusted to the cancellation rates, were like near four or five decade low. So they're not working from a very high bar. And I think that's in general that's that's the the biggest thing about housing that nobody wants to talk about. Home sales are already low. They're historically low. There people think okay, they're going to crash. Okay, then say it. 6.5 to 4 million, 4 million to 1 million home sales. Not that hard. Just go ahead and make that premise. Or new home sales, they went down to 530,000. They're going to go to 100,000. But if you're not going to say that and you're wondering like why aren't home sales even going lower lower? It's stabilizing itself. So you know, uh, you and I often go on rants about uh, people on social media, but I've seen some more rounds of like, I'm driving through builders um, developments and, you know, it seems like it's stalled and there's like nobody here and it's like a ghost town. And it's like, I, I've lived for the last couple of years in new build environments and I see nothing like that. I mean, things are 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 clipping along. I'm sure maybe builders wish they were more, but when you have so little inventory, they are and they've been so careful, they are insulated in many ways from from what these people seemingly think is going on. I've always said this. If anybody talks about housing and they don't forecast anything, don't listen to them. I mean, just, I mean, like 99% of the things I see are lies and like crazy stuff. Um, what I call the, the Zillow snapshot, like what happens every single year is that <laughs> the seasonal price declines that you see, you know, even if prices are up, everybody for 12 years kept on snapping Zillow shots. So look at this. Or they're reducing their prices, reducing their prices, not realizing that one third of all homes in America have a, have a price reduction. That's very normal. Um, again, I, to, to make it very simple, if men and women don't want to put their names and face and forecast on anything, you shouldn't listen to them. Right. Because I mean, that's what I see. That's why I challenge everyone. I would take every single man and woman on planet Earth, get them in front of a camera, get their forecast, and then let's talk about economics. 
and 99.9% of them will never do it. They have done exactly what I've thought they would do. They would show the American people that they they don't forecast housing. So don't listen to people who don't forecast. So the builders shown this. We wrote that article about how Wall Street was wrong, how a lot of people were wrong because they didn't understand the business model. So if you don't understand the business model, you're just making stuff up. I take a picture here, picture there, and it's just not the case. So, uh, uh, but at least at least I know some. At least I know this. Uh, people lost money doing this, shorting the builder stocks. I had people like show me pictures of their sh- short builder trades, and I go, "Good luck, good 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 man. You believe in your premise." So at least it stings a little bit, you know, but for everyone else, just, just follow, follow the housing data. This is why we do the tracker the tracker and all these articles are here to show you. Uh, so the structural dynamics of housing are much better are different now because home sales are already low. Inventory is already low. So those are two things we know that are true. Those are facts that you can't change that. So you just work off of the supply and demand economics of that for the builders, which is different than the existing home sales market. And I, I just think there's so much confusion because when you, when you have people who aren't trained to talk about data, boy, they, they take it to some crazy place. And uh, in, in this context, I think people just didn't understand how the builders do their business. And uh, if we had two, three, four million active listings, none of this will be happening, right? Too much supply for the builders to compete with. They'd have to cut prices even more and, you know, uh, housing uh, uh Permits would keep on falling more and more and more, but we don't have that environment at this stage. You know, you would need rates to go higher and demand to really start falling again. And then you have a working premise there, right? That's what I said. If, if, if home sales were still crashing like they were last year, you have a different ballgame. That, that hasn't happened since November 9th, 2022. So pivoting a little bit from the housing market right into the larger economic picture, we had the leading economic indicator report come out. Tell us you know, are we headed into a recession? What did it tell us? So it's interesting. If you look at the leading economic index from the conference board, it's deeply showing very late economic expansion uh, data lines. That means that uh, the recession should be coming very shortly. Uh, Again, for myself, I was able to go in front of the conference board last July 27th, 2022, and present my six recession red flag model. So now that we are here today, I think this is a good going back to that uh, article. My, res- my recession red flag model is a progression model. It's stages. The, the time to like look about look for recessionary data is when all six flags are up. So here we are. What are two things that could help the US economy? Number one, the growth rate of inflation could fall. That happened. Number two, bond yields could fall. That could help housing. That happened, right? The second one was that the Fed would stop hiking rates and then cut eventually. That hasn't happened yet. Um, the labor dynamics, the balance sheets of America are much different now than than previous. So we're just looking to see when does jobless claims break. And as long as people are spending and employed, you need some kind of exogenistic shock. Now, last year, you had higher oil prices, higher gas prices. That has come down. Okay. Uh, there was a worry about Europe not even surviving a winter. You know, uh, that is that has been taken off. So there are other dynamics that are that are helping uh, keeping this expansion going. But again, demographics are good. Balance sheets are good. When I talk about balance sheets, what does that mean? All the Americans that bought homes from 2012 to 2019, what did they had? They had a fixed debt cost, rising wages. Their total housing cost is so low. Then COVID happened, 
right? And then guess what? A lot of people refinanced. <laughs> so they got even lower payments. Their cash flow even got better, but their wages grew faster, right? So people are like, how are people spending inflation rates? Well, if you look at if you look at it in that, those households are are kind of uh, are insulated from the uh, massive rate hikes, massive higher mortgage rates, and massive inflation. So if you look at it in that way, you can see that they're doing better. The one thing that has happened for them is that their wages have gone up. Uh, so we're just looking to see when does the labor market break at this point. And the last time I had all six of my recession red flags up was late 2006. The recession didn't happen until 2008. And back then we had real, real major deterioration of credit. People were filing for foreclosures, bankruptcies, five, six, seven, and eight. And then it took it took uh, took some time for that to break into the system. So you want to be mindful of this. But yeah, everybody who looks at the leading economic index, they're like, whoa, that's that looks recessionary. So we're we're waiting to see the final data line, and that's just uh, jobless claims. Uh, and always take jobless claims over job openings. And you've been saying this for a while. I mean, you you uh, had your sixth recession red flag raised in the summer, correct? August fifth, twenty twenty. Thank you. Ready with the uh, reference there. And you said at that time, you know, the the thing you have to look at is is the jobless claims, but definitely other things are lining up now to where it feels like that. Does anything when you look at does your Six recession red flag model. Does any part of that tell you how deep the recession is going to be? How long it's going to be? Well, right now, because credit standards are normal, and 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 this is a longer term discussion. I think what happened was people never understood how important it was to have the 2005 bankruptcy reform laws and the 2010 QM laws. Like, if I was presenting to all of Wall Street, I would say, have all your analysts go back and look. At those and look how consumer consumption because really we're we're a domestic economy like our economy revolves around our spending at home we're not we're not necessarily living off exporting uh, stuff like other countries do so we had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history after those two laws were put in uh, we had a very brief recession for like six weeks during COVID we wrote the recovery model on April seventh twenty twenty uh, and. Again, this uh, this rebound, especially for the labor market, has been really good because you you would need the shocks, the shocks from the banking crisis. That's going to impact uh, uh, some local economies when the commercial loans start to go bust. You know, some of those uh, companies will 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 get impacted. But you just got to really really look at spending and and what what eventually happens is higher interest rates, higher interest costs, credit getting tighter. Those eventually become big enough to create a job loss. Recession. You know, I can make a case that California is in a recession right now. Their unemployment rate has gone up half a percent from the lows. In theory, it's, you know, the Claudia Shaw rule where if the unemployment rate jumps up half a percent from the lows, your economy is in a recession. Okay. So you you start looking at things like that uh, and you start to see uh, a, a few cracks in there. But until jobless claims break over 323,000 on the four-week moving average, the general U.S. economy is not having what we call a job loss recession, where we have con- a lot of months uh, where um, you start to start to uh, uh, see 200 or 300,000 jobs lost. The one thing I would say about the size of this, uh, wh- whenever the recession happens, Again, we have levers to pull. 
to to really plug in the holes in any recession. The question is, does the Federal Reserve how they act during a recession? I think that that's where I'd like the conversations to start to go because they're, they're whether they hike another quarter or not. You know, it's just they're, they're almost done. So it's really depending on what they do after. Uh, uh, what the government does after, or what 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 business can do after on that. But one thing we know for sure: the fact that the baby boomers have been leaving the marketplace, you know, retiring, our replacement workers' unemployment rates are low. Um, that dynamic doesn't change. The baby boomers don't get younger, right? Every year, more of them leave the workforce. So we just, you know, you, you, this is the whole job openings ten million. Right, you know, the whole premise of us getting that high was that our, the labor dynamics are different now than they were, let's say, in uh, two thousand eight. Okay, I still uh, have not forgotten that you called me a boomer. So let's just—we're going to put a pin in that. You've repented since then, but I'm not forgetting that. <laughs> you know, Sarah, there was a there was a really good joke that I I did oh, yeah. on social media where um, there's all these people that tell me like. Oh my God, nobody understands all these baby boomers are going to die and they're going to flood the market. Why are people so ignorant? Um, so then I said, okay, and I think this is a good lesson for everyone. Uh, this is what I would tell real estate agents and mortgage people to tell their clients or everyone else. Could you imagine you being a 29-year-old guy? You just got married, right? And your wife and you you're 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 planning on having kids, and you tell your wife, honey. The baby boomers are going to die. And when they die in 2035, they're going to flood the market with homes. And then we're going to get a deal, honey. Can you, can you, we'll just sit and wait. And that conversation isn't happening because older Americans, baby boomers, you're not one, you're not a baby boomer, you're a Gen Xer, <laughs> um, have this fascination with death and yeah. the silver tsunami and, and inventory. Right. And this is what we call the silver tsunami. I've been dealing with a silver tsunami for God, what's it now? It's yeah, year eight. 26 to 30 million homes coming to the market starting in 2015. That didn't work well. Um, so uh younger people don't think like older people. When younger people have sex, they have kids. So it's a different, it's a whole different thing, right? Older people are just grumpy and they're like, Oh yeah, these stupid kids don't realize we're all gonna die and flood the house. People don't think that way. Young people don't think that way. They're not sitting there thinking, oh, if I just wait 15 years, I got a deal. People live their lives. They're happy people. They live their lives, right? You baby boomers, let it go, right? Just sail <laughs> off. Sail off. It's the end, right? Just go gracefully, right? You don't have to start yelling at these people. These people are stupid. Don't they realize we're all going to know? Nobody cares. So in that context of the conversation, starts to, you know, you start to get you start to go in a really weird place. And, you know, talking about the NAR inventory, um, the NAR inventory is, is a little bit different than everyone else's. They they capture these these pending uh, sales and they have everything in. So naturally their number is higher, but um, the year over year inventory increased. It went from like a million 30,000 to a million 40,000. That was it, right? And we just had the biggest collapse. And the silver tsunami was supposed to happen in 2015. That's when every baby boomer was 62 in 2008. And then uh, starting from uh, 2015 to 2025 was going to be the 10-year decade that all of them were going to sell their homes at once. And who knows what they were going to do, where they're going to live after that. That was the funny part. 
and then no but no millennials could buy them so home prices have to come down 70% just so they can and then they lose their equity and then they can't buy it, it was really some crazy stuff but we're here today it's 2023 we're almost in june we are almost in june people guess what inventory year to date is negative still right we had those we had those new listings are trending at all time lows we're sitting here um and like like I talked about, we had one week last year that has more inventory growth than the entire year this year. Uh, so uh, much different dynamics. And I, what what I would say is that you got to be careful with the baby boomer stuff, and you know, worried about young people. Young people just think differently, and we are grateful for that. Wish we had better news on our Friday. Uh, we will uh, by the time this airs, we will have our housing market tracker, and we'll know what inventory looks like. So, um, listeners, go check that out. And Logan, thank you so much. Pleasure as always, Sarah. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Program Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.